Welcome to day six of VBS. Nobody else wore their shirts. Just me. I feel like that kid at the costume party who didn't fully understand the invite. You were supposed to wear like cute costumes. And I'm wearing like the, the bloody zombie version. So this is awkward. Let's just pretend like we're all in combat boots and a t-shirt. Is that fair? Good. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. As long as Kevin's with me, I will be okay. Well, uh, I have been at VBS all week, which is why uh, I've never been this tired before in my life. Playing a couple of, uh, well, I played myself. I need to be very careful. There are kids who were at the event. Some seem to think that I look and sound a little bit like the other character. That wasn't me, Emmanuel. No, no, it wasn't. No, Sami, totally different guy. He had a British accent. He was the exact same height as me, but that was just a coincidence. But it was a good time. And so I want to walk you through it because we're going to, you know, as much as I, I am in costume and you're not, uh, I am going to talk about VBS and we're going to try and do our best to do a day six because I think it'd be great if you could experience VBS. Not in the same way, um, as much as I want to put the Destination Dig theme song up here and get it stuck in your head as much as it's stuck in my head. And it's, it's a good one. It's really, really good. And the dance moves, oh, classic. But we won't do that. We're just going to talk about the, the topic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to catch you up on what Destination Dig is so you understand what it is we're going through. And then I'm going to take day two I'm going to turn it into day six. So for those of you who are here, Sami, I apologize. Uh, we're going to do day two again. We're just going to do it a little bit differently. So big shout out to Brittany, who I don't know. Brittany, did you make it in yet? I don't see Brittany yet. But shout out to Brittany and shout out to Marsha with her brand new haircut. Um, thanks for doing all you did to make VBS work. Uh, let's jump into it so that you know what they went through so you know what you're up against. So Destination Dig went through uh, five days. On the first day, we talked about the birth of Jesus. Now, Destination Dig is an archaeological-based VBS program. So all of it was artifacts and videos, and the videos themselves actually showed uh, the crew at these sites in Jerusalem, telling the kids that you can believe in what the Bible says. It's true. There are facts to prove it. Let's walk through them. So the first one was the birth of Jesus. The motto for that day was Jesus came as God promised. And we studied Isaiah 9, verse 6. Day two, Jesus heals a blind man. On that day, the motto was Jesus demonstrates God's power, which is what we're going to talk about today. And to do that, they studied John chapter 9, verse 33. Day three, Jesus dies on the cross. The motto that day was Jesus was betrayed and rejected. They studied Matthew 20, verse 28. Day four was Jesus' resurrection. The motto was Jesus died and rose again. And they studied John 11, verse 25. And on the fifth day, Jesus has the power to save. The motto was the Bible is true. And that was Romans 1, 1 uh, verse 16. Dr. Diggory, like I said, different guy, doesn't even sound like me, hardly even looks like me, wore a different colored mask, so I don't know how they could think it was the same person. Um, he had a catchphrase, and his catchphrase was, can you dig it? He did it in a British accent. I don't know how to do a British accent, Sami. So, there, 
I don't think I'm ever going to live that down. One of the kids also said, you're not Dr. Diggory. And I said, see, I'm not. And he said, you're Mr. E. And I went, "Uh uh-oh. Now I have like a multiple personality problem going on here. But um, he had a he had a catchphrase. His catchphrase was "Can you dig it?" And Sami helped me when I said when uh, when Dr. Diggory said, "Can you dig it?" What did they say in response? I can dig it. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad that Mark went to one day and he has that stuck in his head. So yes. I'm using this today because one, it's super helpful because it's VBS day six and day two, uh, the other part is that I want to teach us how to like be more responsive back and forth. So if anytime I say, can you dig it? You say, I can dig it. Let's see if it works. Can you dig it? Good. I love how you went like the adult version of that. Like whenever we read the Lord's prayer where everybody just goes monotone for no good reason. Give us this day our daily bread, but no one talks like that. You can say this in your own voice. It's totally cool. Can you dig it? Yeah, there. That sounded human. That was good. All right. So we're going to use that back and forth, and then we'll just get used to that, and then you'll get used to me being up here. I'll ask questions. You'll know it's okay to respond. Can you dig it? Good. So let's uh, talk about this. When we dive into this section, now for them, they use the book of John. I am going to use the book of Mark because that's what Kevin read and did a stupendous job of it. I'm going to go back and forth, not just to the scripture, but to Kevin's reading of the scripture because it's very important. We didn't get to coordinate on this, Kevin, but I am so glad you read today because it's a very distinct reason why I needed you to read today over any of our other readers. No offense to you, Patty. It's just a different thing that helps for this section of scripture. So we're going to go through Mark chapter 8 together. We're going to cut open those four paragraphs. We're going to dig deep into it. You like that? Destination? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, and then I'm going to tell you a personal story, and then I'm going to try and apply it to all of our lives together. That's the game plan. Sound good? Good. Oh, I was going to do that next, but that's fine. Can you dig it, Kevin? Kevin can dig it. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to be here in your sanctuary on this Sabbath We're here to read your word. We're here to sit next to you. We're here to learn about you. God, draw us closer. Help us to know who it is that you are. God, show us what you can do. God, show us who you are and show us how to help others to see you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right. Let's jump in as I remove this backpack that has ancient scrolls that apparently we're not using today. Uh, These were unearthed when we dug up Vista Ridge Academy when it was built. So these are super special. Don't take offense when I put them on the floor. Mark 8. Chapters, uh, verses, let's start in verse 11. For those of you who have the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, page 1002 is where we're going to be. And we're going to go between 1002 and 1003. We're going to stay right there. Uh, All of these four sections are connected. So each of them is a paragraph, and we'll walk through each of the paragraphs. So if we start in verse 11, in the ESV that's in front of you, the uh, header is the Pharisees demand a sign. That's one paragraph. The second one is the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. That's the second paragraph. Third one is Jesus heals a blind man of Bethsaida. And the fourth one is Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. There is one theme that ties all four of those paragraphs together, and that is the idea of blindness. And so we're going to talk about blindness today, not only because that's what they talked about for the VBS program, but because that's where I want us to dig in deeply here. 
If we break it down and we use that blindness as the tag for each of them, the Pharisees demand a sign. The Pharisees are determined to be blind. In 14 through 21, the disciples find out that they are in fact blind. In verses 22 and 24, we learn about a blind man. And then in verses 25 and 26, which is the other half of that third paragraph, we learn that Jesus heals the blind man. He takes away the blindness, leaving 27 through 30 where the disciples lose their blindness as well. And we're going to dive into all of that. So let's read through again uh, verses 11 through 13. It says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with them, with him, seeking from him a sign to his, uh, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. The Pharisees begin by testing Jesus, which is odd because does this sound familiar to anybody else? Somebody demanding a sign to test Jesus? Where have we heard this? Who I stumped him. I had you with the can, I, can you dig it thing, and then I asked a Bible question and it failed. The devil, who said that? Gable, my man. Your dad a pastor by chance? That probably helps. Gave a good answer. Yeah, Satan did it. You want to know where that happened? The beginning of this book. Go back to the beginning of Mark in chapter 1. Mark doesn't cover it the same way that Matthew does, so if you want to read more, it's worth a read. Matthew 4 will cover that story all the way through, and you can read it. But these are the same lines. This is the same sentiment. The Pharisees come to Jesus and say, you owe us a sign. We want to see if you're the real deal. And Jesus, doing what he did because he's already been tested, and this is an easy answer, says, yeah, I'm not big into the giving you signs because you demand them. And so he does, uh, anybody a basketball fan? Any James Harden fans? Anybody know the James Harden eye roll? A couple of years ago, he was doing an interview, and he just didn't like the questions, and at one point he just like rolls his eyes and leaves this. This is Jesus, okay? But he does that, gets onto a boat, and pushes it offshore. Like, this is the original eye roll. That's where James Harden, I think, got it in this case. Jesus is not about giving the sign because he's seen it before. But also, let's do a quick trip through Mark. If you want to just, you know, stick your finger in Mark 8 and we can travel backwards, here are all the signs that Jesus has done up to this point. So the Pharisees asking for a sign come on the back of Mark uh, 1, verse 21. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. In the 29th verse of the same chapter, he heals many. On the 40th, chapter, uh, 40th verse, he cleanses a leper. Chapter 2, verse 1, heals a paralytic. Chapter 3, verse 1, heals a man with a withered hand. Uh, chapter 4, verse th 35, calms a storm. Chapter 5, verse 1, heals a man with a demon. Chapter 5, verse 21, heals a woman uh, and Jairus' daughter. Chapter 6, verse 30, he feeds 5,000 people. Chapter 6, verse 45, he walks on water. Chapter 6, verse 53, he heals the sick and generous it. Uh, chapter 7, verse 24, he casts a demon out of a, a, the, I can't read my own writing, the something, something. He cast a demon out of something. I wrote this a little too late. I should have been more careful. What does it say, Lana? The Syrophoenician woman. That's what I did. I tried to shorten two words that don't deserve to be shortened. He cast a demon out of a Syrophoenician woman. Chapter 7, verse 31, he heals a deaf man. In chapter 8, verse 1, he feeds 4,000 people. And then the Pharisees are like, yeah, but prove it. James Harden eye roll. 
out onto the boat. He is not handling this. Basically saying, if you haven't seen it already, you're not going to see it. And I will certainly not be giving a sign to your generation. And he moves on. Now let me ask you this. Uh, where are my parents in the room? Parents? A couple of parents? A couple of people who are trying not to... It's all right if you're not a parent today. Your kids aren't with you. You don't have to be a parent. That's totally fine. Because it's funny, I'm looking at people that I know have multiple children, hands at their sides. You have this moment where like you've done something for your kids or like you've made food and then they're like, yeah, but I want or you just went grocery shopping and on the way back from grocery shopping, the kids are like, let's stop at McDonald's. And you just think to yourself like, what, what do I have to do here? What do I have to do? Or camp staff. Camp staff? Or camp staff other, other than right here? These are just my camp staff. Campers, this week, anybody? Like, oh, the balcony monsters. Welcome, other staffers. Thanks for lurking in the shadows. Feel free to take a nap while you're up there, too, because I feel like you guys need it. Anybody have the, the, the problematic campers that, like, you've done something and they still want to challenge what you've done or say that they can do it better or different? Chris, have you taken any, like, lifeguard tips from a 14-year-old this week? Thankfully, no. He shook his head, but it was like a ghastly no. I was like, no, not a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old. It's never good. And this is what Jesus is up against. And so hopefully you can, you can catch an empathetic moment with Christ in this place. Then we get to this next section. So we've got blind Pharisees. Let's go through uh, verses 14. And Kevin, this is why I'm coming to you again. This is why it's important that Kevin read this. Because I need you to hear the dadness in Jesus' voice. Which you heard in Kevin's dadness as he read it. Picture it. There's a bunch of boys in the front of the boat and they're going on about something, something trivial. In this case, we don't have enough bread. And from the back of the boat, you can even picture Kevin, okay? Laying in the back of the boat, he's got a hat over his face. He's in the recline position, you know, with like the dad fingers across the chest, okay? And the kids are like, mur, 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 mur. And then all of a sudden, this life lesson from underneath a hat comes to the back of the boat. We don't have enough bread. Oh, you didn't bring another bread. Whatever, Peter. I told you to bring the bread. We thought it was your turn. Hey, quit arguing about the bread. It's not about the bread. You should be worrying about this instead. And all the kids go... Okay, but you still should have brought the bread. And they go back to arguing. Like scripture says, they go, uh-huh. Still hungry though. Well, we wouldn't be hungry if you had brought the bread. What? And now the dad, Kevin, takes the hat off his face. And he sits forward. And you know it's bad when dad starts asking rhetorical questions rapid fire. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And he does it in the most dad tone ever. Sean, can you hear your dad saying this to you in that, like, Gary tone? No, you were a good kid. Okay, apparently Sean's the only one that doesn't know this. I can hear my dad doing this. And it starts with, boy, and that's how you know. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Why are you still on this bread nonsense? 
steal something from Forrest Gump? Are you crazy? Are you just plain stupid? Are you suddenly deaf? Are you suddenly blind? Did you not hear me? Did you not see what I just said? And then, of course, Peter being Peter. Uh, actually, Jesus, uh, we did hear you. Um, you actually, it's, it's not about deafness or blindness. It's more about, um, well, you see, we thought, and that's where Jesus just cuts him off because he's not here to have you answer those questions. He's here to teach you a lesson. No, Peter, listen. Remember that time I took five loaves and I fed 5,000 people? Hmm? How many extras were left? Like 12 baskets. Remember when I took seven loaves and I fed 4,000 people? How many Tupperware containers full of leftovers were there? Seven. Well? And I just imagine those boys sitting in the front of that boat and the silence that follows that. Do you ever kick the back of your dad's chair on a road trip for too many times? And then he snaps. And then it's the next county before the radio gets turned back on. That's the kind of silence I think happens. They're just rowing. And it's quiet. And they found out in that moment they were blind. And I'm not sure they fully understood what that means. But they've got to figure this out because Jesus needs to teach them this lesson for a very good reason. And unfortunately, in paragraph two, the Pharisees are the point that are blind. Then you get to chapter three, verses 22 uh, through 26. You have a two-part miracle. It's the one of two times that this happens in scripture. Jesus usually comes upon a situation that needs a miracle, does the miracle, moves on. In the book of Mark, in this story, Jesus heals in two parts. And he does it twice in this section. And so the step one, he takes a man who is blind and he fixes problem number one, which is his visual clarity. He spits, puts his hand on his eyes, Guy opens his eyes, he says, I can see, but not very clearly. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 I'm not done. He does it again, he covers his eyes, he opens his eyes, and boom, he can see. In this case, visual clarity is part one, spiritual clarity is part two. He's not quite ready to see what Jesus needs him to see fully, so he fixes part of it and then fixes it again. This is a parable in action. Now, this is not a parable, let me be clear. Jesus does this miracle but in turn, because of the way that Mark puts everything together, Mark chapter 8 becomes a parable in itself. And these four sections start to show that shift. What happens when you are blind and don't want to see? What happens when you're blind and you realize you want to see? What happens when you're blind, you want to see, and you are given sight? And what happens when that sight starts to change everything about your life? And then when that sight changes everything, you start to see Jesus differently. That in itself, these four paragraphs become a parable for our life today. This is the story of Christianity. This is what happens before baptism, during baptism, after baptism, and when Jesus fully comes into your heart. This is that story altogether. He creates this opportunity to change blindness in a healing moment when it's certainly asked for and not when it is not in the case of the disciples. So, we get to the final chapter, which is blind disciples who don't want to be blind anymore and get 
healed. And so you have this section where Peter confesses Jesus is Christ, but keep in mind, Jesus is talking to those same boys who were on that same boat from before, just a little bit later. He asks a very important question, this time not a rhetorical question, not a dad question, a real question. Who do people say that I am? And the group answers. The group says, they say you're some guy, just some dude. Um, They think you might be some guy from the past, come back, possessed in your body. That could be, seems plausible. That's what somebody else said, not what I said. And then the other guy says, "Uh, they think you're a really good preacher. And he said, yeah, but let me ask you this. Who do you say I am? And this is where Peter shines. Because Peter speaks up again. And earlier he was trying to clarify some stuff. Peter clarifies again. Peter says very clearly, this time with less timidity in his voice. He says, you're the one. You're the one who came to save the world. And all of a sudden, that blindness that they experienced on the boat lifted. And they can see things very clearly. So much so that Jesus doesn't need to say anything else. He just says, okay, you're ready to go. Because what happens next is Jesus is walking into his death. So if they don't get it right now, there's going to be some issues for the start of the Christian church. And thankfully, they've got it. They are blind, like the blind man, no more. A miracle. Two parts, one for the disciples and one for the man. Happens in two places. I think miracles in the Bible are beautiful. They give me hope. I love to read them. I have to admit, I had never seen one. But it's cool to read the story. Now, I was not aware that I had seen a miracle. I need to be very clear. Maybe I have seen a miracle. Maybe the fact that I'm sitting here right now is a miracle. The fact that Mark is sitting here after the year he had last year, miracle. Where's Keith? Keith was around here somewhere. There he is. Keith, sitting where he is right now in this moment. Miracle. I didn't get to witness it necessarily personally, but maybe I've been in proximity of these things happening. But it was not until May of this year that I realized I have actually seen a miracle in person. One that was tangible, that one that was real, one that I was a part of, one that I could feel. And I want to tell you that story. This story begins on May 22nd, 2021, the day I met Raymond. Raymond Rivera, a.k.a. Mr. Wheels, which feels like the wrong thing to call him because uh, he is bound to a motorized wheelchair, but uh, he told me to call him Mr. Wheels. So I feel like it's okay if I add that in this case. Raymond Rivera, Mr. Wheels, lives in an ambulance behind the Boulder Homeless Shelter. I met Ray on the 22nd, and he told me his story. And he said his story, he's a, he's a military veteran. Uh, he's been in this wheelchair since his time in the military due to an accident that happened there. You'll see Ray around Boulder. You'll see Ray around everywhere because he uses public transit to get from place to place. You'll know it's Ray because he has four American flags hanging off the back of his shelf. And not one, not two, not three, not four, but five radios all tuned to the same station. So as he's driving around, you can hear him coming. Ray usually has some sort of eclectic hat on, uh, something loud in, for apparel, and he is always there for a chat. 
When I met Ray, uh, he told me about all of his story. Now, here's the thing. There's more to Ray than his chair or his dog tags or the things that he puts uh, around him. And I'm going to let him tell that story to you. Not today. He's not here today. But uh, hopefully he'll come here one day because he's looking for a church and maybe just maybe he'll come and join this one. He's come here once before. He went up Mapleton on his motorized scooter looking for Pastor Bill, which was cool. Who said, oh? Sizzle, did you meet him? Marsha met him? Okay, good. He, he might come back. He's a nice guy. Um, but buckle up. When it's time to let him tell you his story, it took him 90 minutes to tell me his story. And it's good. It goes in parts and acts. Like if, you, if you've seen Hamilton and you see like the first act and the second act, he does that, but there's like eight of them. And they go in and out and back and forth. It's a lot of fun. It's really tragic. It's, it's, uh, it's heartwarming and heartbreaking all at the same time. Now, I should say, the 90 minutes that Ray told me his story happened between the hour of 9.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. And that might seem like a lot, but let me add to this. Uh, Kathy, you get to play a part in the story as well. Because if you remember back to May 22nd, you and I got to hang out together. Because I showed up at church uh, at 8 a.m. after waking up at 6 a.m. We had a stage manager meeting at 9.15. I preached, the last time I preached here was at 9.30 on that day. At 11 o'clock, I taught impact with faith. And then we closed down the church at 12. I taught a crash class with Emmanuel at 1 o'clock online. And then I drove to see Kathy at 3 o'clock to walk a 6K charity event. If that wasn't enough, I drove back, came back to the church, and I spent three and a half hours shooting a video for the improv team, which takes us to 9.20 p.m. When I locked the doors, I called my wife and I said, I'm coming home. I'm going to stop to get gas because I want you to have gas for tomorrow, but I'll see you shortly. I drove, I turned into the Shell station across the street from my house, and there I met Ray. And Ray said, can you buy me a soup? And thus began 90 minutes of Ray's story. And at this point, I have never been so tired in all of my life. I owe Jesus an apology because I was supposed to rest. James Harden eye roll to that day. I should not have given Ray the time of day. I should have gone home. I should have put gas in my car. I should have driven across the street. I should have been in bed. Because the next morning, Gable, was getting off a plane in Denver. And I needed to be there in the morning to pick him and his lovely mother up and then help them move into their new home. I have stuff to do, Ray. And I didn't plan for this. As a matter of fact, what I wanted to say to Ray was, look, buddy, I had enough bread for the day to get me to 9.20 p.m. I am now out of bread, out of energy, and out of patience. This story can wait. I will see you another time. And then just apparently silently hope in the back of my head that I didn't because I just wanted to get out of this conversation. My wife called me four times while I was standing there over those 90 minutes. Wives in the room? What happens when you call your husband four times at 9.30 after hearing he'll be home in seven minutes and he doesn't come back 60 minutes, 75 minutes, and 90 minutes later? Anybody? Yeah, that's a problem because I straight screened all of those phone calls. I saw she called I clicked whatever you deny or off or shoe. I don't know what the button is says, but I clicked it four times. 
And my wife, you've met my wife, she doesn't fall for that stuff. So barefoot, she walks out of our apartment and walks across the street to where the car is parked, thinking that it is currently being robbed and I am being held hostage. Because from our apartment balcony, she can see me, but she can't see Ray. And I'm just there, I think like this. For 90 minutes. So she walks across the street, at which point she sees Ray, and for whatever reason, instead of taking the opportunity to interrupt our conversation, she goes back inside. My wife could have stopped this. Four phone calls could have stopped this. At any given point during the 90-minute saga of Raymond Rivera's life, I could have stopped this. And every time I thought to myself, this is the last sentence, I'm going to tell him I need to go, he would ask a question, a rhetorical one, one that sounded eerily similar to the questions I asked you at church here during the sermon I preached before. He'd ask a question about God. He'd ask a question about faith. He'd ask a question about church. Not a real question, a rhetorical one. Like, what's wrong with us? And why doesn't God do this? And how come this? Big questions. And all I could hear in the back of my head was the Holy Spirit going, mm -mm, not yet. <sighs> and it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going. 90 minutes later, until he finally finished with a final question. And he said to me, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what God does, you know? Now, that don't make sense when you hear Ray's story, and I hope you get to hear it, or I hope you get to hear a story like Ray's from somebody else who reminds you of Ray and this story, because I didn't know. I didn't know what God was going to do. And so, because I didn't know the answer, and I didn't want to leave it at that, I handed Ray my business card, which has my cell phone on it. And I said, Ray, you should call me sometime. And thus began, has anybody read the story, if you give a, a mouse a cookie? Did you know that if you give a Ray your cell phone number, he's going to want to call you? And he did on May 25th, 2021. Ray had a problem. Ray's charger to his wheelchair was broken. And he was given two options. You can either drive to Aurora and pick it up, which I don't know if you've done the math very quickly, but if you can't charge your wheelchair, you can't get to Aurora. So the second option was, we'll ship it to you, Ray. It'll be there on July 12th. It's May 25th. When Ray called my phone, I was in Westminster. Aurora, still 45 minutes away. And if you give Ray an opportunity to call your cell phone, he's going to want you to pick up his wheelchair charger. And if you pick up his wheelchair charger, you might as well pick up dinner on your way back. And if you're going to pick up dinner on your way back through, you might as well stop at that same Shell station and pick up Blue Gatorade, because Ray loves Blue Gatorade. And if you're going to pick up Blue Gatorade at the gas station, you might as well get him five gallons of gas to put in his generator. And if you're going to get him five gallons of gas, you know the story. You might as well go pick up his canister that's full of diesel. And if you're going to pick up the cans full of diesel, you might as well save the diesel so he can use it for his ambulance. And if you're going to do that, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do that, and two and a half hours later, he's going to want you to help troubleshoot why his cable doesn't work. And so, in sweltering heat, no shade, 
in close proximity to a man named Ray who I met three days ago. We crawled around his van trying to plug in this new cable that I've brought back from Aurora. We plugged it into the generator and we plugged it into an extension cord and we plugged it into a building that we knew was working because I had plugged my cell phone into it just a minute ago. And you know what? That brand new charger out of the box that I had fetched from Aurora and brought to him after all of this, you know what? It didn't work. It was defective. You know, when you kick the back of your dad's chair so many times that he finally starts to grumble. <laughs> I got to go back to Aurora because I got to get him a new charger. And as we leave, Ray gives me a life lesson, not from under a hat, but from right there sitting in the front of his ambulance. And he said, I want you to know this is how we get treated, those of us in the community of people with disabilities. That's why I always check and double check and I ask him to take it out of the box. And I wish you would have done that, but you didn't know. But here's the reality, Jay. He knew my name at this point, thankfully. Said, now you've seen it. So when you hear any of us complain about not getting a fair chance, now you've seen it. And I said, I'm sorry, Ray. I'm going to take this back. I'll bring it back tomorrow. And I went back to my office, defeated, angry, mad at the system, mad at Ray. Why did he ask that for that soup? Why did God make me turn left at the shell instead of right into my apartment? I'm mad at me. I'm mad at the sun. I'm mad at Ray. I'm mad at God. And I'm stuck with this silly cable. And then I realize as I'm going through the stages of grief, so stage one is shock and denial, stage two, pain and guilt, stage three, anger. But I'm done with anger. Now I'm bargaining. And I start to realize, you know who's not a dummy, me. You know who might be a dummy? Ray. This is Ray's fault. It doesn't work because he's trying to plug it into an ambulance and a generator, and I work here, and power flows freely out of the walls, especially so much so that we give it to the people across the street. So I plug it in, thinking I can bargain with physics. I plug it in, and you know what, people? You know what happened when I plugged it into our wall here at the church? It still didn't work because <laughs> it was broken because Ray is an engineer and a diesel mechanic and a good one and I should have believed him, but I didn't. And I lost trust in him and I lost trust in everything else, so I started to bargain. Who is Ray anyways? Just some dude. And apparently so am I, just a dumber one. You know what the fourth stage of grief is? Depression. Sitting in my office, a broken cable and a sunburn joining me in my space. Why God? Why Ray? Why this? Why now? Who is he? Who is he to me? Who is he to you? Help me. I don't want to go back to Aurora. And so I prayed. Don't let me go back to Aurora, God. I don't want to let Ray down. I don't want to let you down. And in the silence in my office, I was interrupted 
by a still, small whisper. Not a voice. You know what it was? It was the sound of a small fan turning on by my feet. And a little red LED light flashed on and it beeped. I popped open my eye and I can tell you, anybody who's witnessed a miracle, the electricity that shoots through your body was insane because I thought I had conducted a miracle. Ask God for help, make this work, shazam. It works and I freaked out and I called Ray and I said, Ray, it's working. He said, how? I said, I don't know. He said, it must be God. I said, it must be. I said, I'm coming back right now because it works. And I got back into my car after two hours of wrestling with it and I brought it back to him. May 25th, 2021, I witnessed a miracle right here in this building and it changed my life forever. Now, let me clarify because I see Juan is here. Uh, any other electricians or hobbyists who know anything about charging things up? Well, good. Nobody else knows my secret, so I'll tell my secret before anybody sends me the um, actually email. Here's, here's a, a fun fact. Because when you do a miracle and you think, man, that's so cool that I just did that and I was a part of that, I want to tell the internet, and you go to punch in what you did, sometimes it takes you to the frequently asked questions page of the makers of the actual device where it says, if your unit does not immediately charge or power on, leave it connected to power, they are shipped dead due to lithium battery explosions at pressurized cabins inside of airplanes. God did not perform a miracle plugging something in and making a defective piece of machinery work. That was not the miracle. God did perform a miracle that day. It was on me. Because in that moment where I had all power and all control and I knew the answers and I knew all we had to do was mess with this and wrestle with this and undo that and make this fix, if I would have just stopped with all of my questions about who is Ray and why are we putting me through this and I have the patience and I have better things to do and I had just stopped to realize that all of these problems were just bread, I would have realized that what I was experiencing was the leaven, the thing that was getting in the way. It was not until I stopped and I said, God, help, please. Forget who he is, forget who I am. God, I know who you are and I'm gonna bring my problems to you that I stopped trying to fix it. God had already worked on that problem. God was already working on the solution. And the solution was getting me out of the way. <laughs> Plugging something into the wall and letting it sit and stop trying to be more than you need to be or smarter than you think you are. What if we and I can problem solve and yada, yada, yada. If I would have just stopped to say you are the Christ and let God hear that, we could have moved on to something else. I could have spent two hours with Ray doing something other than sweating and complaining. But it was in my depressed state, stage four, 
that I got to turn the page. Because you know what stage five of grief is? It's where everything turns around. It's where the upward tick begins. And that's where God caught me. In that moment, a miracle was performed. I stopped being the center of everything and the God of this situation. And I let God be God. And God handled his business when I stopped trying to handle it for him. And that was the miracle. And it meant a whole lot to me. And it's a story that God didn't tell me explicitly like he did the blind man here not to tell anybody. So the next time I got to preach, I came up here and told you the whole story so you could hear about it. But not so that you'd think about my story, but so you'd go and have your own story. Because here's the application for you. Here's the application for us as a church. Anybody see the news this week about Boulder City? We just got an award, didn't we? What are we? We are the best city in the United States to live. Amen, said the three of us that live in Boulder. (laughs) But you get to come here on Sabbath and be here and be a part of this city, be a part of this community. Here's the reality check. You know how many people went through 2020 and hated it? and struggled and went through all of those things that Mark prayed for, the divorce and the surgeries and the health issues and the financial scares. You know how many people are looking for a change in 2021? You know how many people are coming to the internet and punching in their symptoms like I did and finding the frequently asked questions page for the Boulder website that says, come here if you're looking for the best place in the United States to live? That's going to bring people to us. All people, not rich people, not people of a certain race or gender. It's going to bring people who are looking for good news. And we just put a giant bullseye right here in the center of this city. And you're a part of that. You're a part of the reason why Boulder City is considered the best city to live in the United States. It's not in the fine print I checked. It doesn't say, and Boulder Church is here, which is dope. It said things about like economic wealth and low crime and good schools and an abundance of outdoor things to do and it's beautiful all the time. It didn't say Boulder Church, but it's in the subscript. Because you really are a part of that. Because when people come here looking for a leg up after the year that was, they're going to look for some good news and you actually know what it is. And you know who brings it. Because they're going to be people like Ray who come to this city and find that they can't hack it, they can't afford it, something happened, they lost their friends, they lost their family, they're here by themselves, they're just looking for sanctuary, for refuge. And in those moments, they're gonna need somebody to help. Which is why I tell you my story. Because that's what God called me to do, to find a Ray. I hope you find your own Ray. I already called dibs on Ray. So I know I told you he lives in the ambulance behind the Boulder Homeless Shelter, back off. That's my friend. Find your own Ray, because they need you more than Ray needs all of us working on him. You ever had that moment where you're driving by and you see somebody with a sign, and the sign is in excruciating detail of all the things they're going through, and you think to yourself, I wish I could, but, and then you let the ellipses be the end of that thought, or you let every thought, rain, well, be, I, you know, milk is so expensive, gas prices, I have to pay for rent, and Kids need new shoes, and burgers are really expensive. 
Anybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan Fund? Anybody know what that is? Show of hands, Good Samaritan Fund. Good, I did not see every hand go up, which means I get to do a PSA. There is a bank of money that Thomas Kuh is the basic key holder to. I, I know there are more of you, Thomas, but you're the closest one. So you get all the heat, just like Mark shed the heat earlier about not coming to talk to him about pothole issues. Thomas is your guy. Go talk to Thomas. How much money is in that account right now, Thomas? Is there at least six figures? Somewhere around there? Ten, ten grand-ish of just money sitting in a bucket. You know who it's for? It's for Ray's and Donna's and Julie's and whoever. It's your money. It's our money. It's the church's money. It's God's money. And we can't find anybody to use it. And it just sits there. And people keep giving to it. And it keeps going up. And we find nothing to do with it. And we sit in vision board and elders board and we think we've got to get rid of this money. There are a bunch of people heading to Boulder. I think we practice on the ones who are here right now so that we're ready for those that show up. And I'm not worried about it being depleted. Because I know this story in Mark. And I know the answer to the question, who do we say that he is? He's the Christ. He's the guy who took seven loaves and multiplied it and came out with leftovers. We have a bucket full of light that just needs to be let out into the darkness. And I guarantee if we tried to use all the light bulbs in the Good Samaritan Fund, we'd have wheelbarrows of unused light bulbs because when it comes out, it will come back in. God will provide for those. He just needs some help to do it. You're going to need to take a left into a shell station instead of a right into your apartment complex. You're going to have to do what Brigida did. She told us a story last week, which still scares me, of driving down a stretch of road in a dark area and seeing a hitchhiker and hearing the Holy Spirit say, you need to go back and pick him up and drive him to his destination. Where are my parents in the room again? Oh, I can see you. You're sweating. I can see you from the sweat that just showed up on your forehead. Do it if God tells you to do it. Don't do it because you have a guilty conscience. Don't do it because just some guy said it was a good idea. Do it because God has called you to do it. Follow the Holy Spirit where he takes you. I guarantee you it is a trip, a tiring one, a long one. Ray is probably texting me right now. I'm going to see him after church today. We're taking back his generator that blew out. And trust me, I'm not going to try and plug it in to make sure he's right this time. But somebody needs that from you. Someone needs that experience from you. Someone needs to know that you fought through the butt and said, I have a church, I go to this church, and I, we have the resources, and I want to help you. I want to help you get connected. We want to help you get off your feet. We know that this is the best place to live. Now we want to prove it. Now we want to show you why. But it takes a little bit of faith, and it takes a willingness to not be blind to those things that we let ourselves be blind to. Let's avoid the dad talk. Let's not get smacked on the wrist by Jesus. Let's be the kind of church that does these things, that takes it seriously, that God can work miracles through you. Be those people. Be that church. Be the kind of Mark 8 miracle to somebody who desperately needs it. Can you dig it?